Wouldn't we love um, to know the future? Wouldn't we love to have a window into the future? Perhaps uh, particularly if we are going through a time of real difficulty. Perhaps if there are anxieties and worries in our lives. Wouldn't we love to know what God has got in store for us? Wouldn't we love to know how all of these kind of things that we are worried about and, and freaking out about how they are going to pan out? Um, I remember um, as a very, very young man that my friends and I occasionally would get together in a room and we would just chat and speculate about what the future was going to hold for us, you know? Uh, we'd sort of speculate about what we were going to be when we grew up. I don't think I had sort of envisaged uh, this <laughs> in any way, shape or form. But you see the point, don't you? We are a people who would love to peer into the next few years, to peer into the future. Well, this evening, as we turn to Zechariah chapter 8, incredibly, I think, it's the future that's in front of us. Because God speaks to this ancient people in, in Jerusalem here. Really, it is a, a picture, yes, of our present as the church, but it is also a picture of the future, your future, if you're in Christ, that is before. I think that's amazing. I think that is incredible, isn't it? If you think about it, that, that tonight in this place, in his word, the almighty God has a message for us about what is what is coming to us, maybe in the next couple of months, certainly in the next couple of years, next few years. This is our future we have here. So, with that said, um, surely we turn back to, to the Old Testament just now. Turn back with me to Zechariah 8. Do you see what we're going to do? We're going to turn back. We're going to turn back to the future. And there's three things that I, I want us to consider and notice here in Zechariah chapter 8. The first of those, see here that God makes a commitment. God makes a commitment. (coughs) Excuse me. Okay. (coughs) If we're going to get um, our heads around what we've got here, there's certainly a couple of preliminary things that we've got to understand. First of all, we've got to see that what we've got here in front of us just now is the sequel to what we looked at last week. Okay, so 7 and 8, chapter 7 and 8, they stand absolutely, they are a pair. So do you remember that delegation from last week, the one that came from Bethel, that had a question for for Zechariah? Do you remember it? They're still there. Like chapter 8, that delegation, that party, still, the setting is exactly the same. And then the other thing that we've got to understand is that though chapter 8 is very much the sequel and the partner to chapter 7, didn't even see earlier on that the tone is totally different do you remember what last week was like do you and the tone was heavy i mean last week god was rebuked remember the way that they were worshiping him just ritualistic just god chastising those people he's warning those people here chapter eight nothing like that like chapter eight is just so upbeat it's just it's beautiful, it's positive. Now, do you see why the tone is much more positive here? God is speaking to these people. He shows them the future and he promises them success. 
He says, see these rebuilding projects that you're up to? You know, you're rebuilding Jerusalem, you're rebuilding the temple. These things, God says, are going to work. These things are going to lead to your flourishing and your spiritual prosperity. Now, because of that, here's what I want us to do. I want us this evening, just here at this point, just to try and unfold that and unpack that. If God's speaking to those people, he's speaking to us, and he's showing us a positive future. What is that like for us? You know, what does this involve? So, a few things I want you to notice. Notice here in the text that God promises these people his presence. Look at verse 3. Love verse 3. He says, I am going to return to you. I am going to dwell in Zion. Now that's lovely, isn't it? I mean, that is a, an amazing promise. The Lord Almighty, the Lord Almighty was going to be with them. But isn't it all the more amazing in light of what we saw last week? Last week, they, they didn't focus on him at all in worship. God was saying, you have no real desire for me in worship. And what's he saying here? Despite that, despite your sin, I, the Lord your God, I am going to be with. Do you see what this is then? This is a promise for them and for you as a Christian. This is a promise of undeserved grace. So there's a promise of his presence. Notice also there's a promise of God's peace. <clears throat> I've got a friend close friend who was brought up in the uh, in 1980s in Belfast. So he's a guy who was brought up um, in the Troubles, really. And, you know, he's talked to me about that in the past and, and what it was like growing up in that sort of environment. And he said, it's just misery. Um, he said, everyone, you know, around him was on tender hooks. You know, he couldn't even go out in the streets of Belfast and kick football about without everyone just being on, on edge. Can you imagine what that would be like? Can you imagine the, 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 the terror of that? Now, what you have to understand is that is what's going on here in Jerusalem at this point. You see, these people here, they are experiencing this rise of opposition. And these people that God is addressing here, they're scared. All these people in Jerusalem, they're absolutely on edge. And what is it that God, into that situation, what is it he promises in verse 4? Just look at it, look, look at it. It is beautiful. He says, such is going to be their future security that their old people are going to be able to, to be out in the streets, sitting there talking to each other. Isn't it lovely? Such is their security that the kids are going to be able to play freely. Do you see what God's promising them? Future contentment. Future calm. And then I think most especially, you've seen presence, you've seen peace. Notice here that God promises prophetic fulfillment. So here's my thought. You can disagree with us later if you want. Here's my thesis. If somebody comes in off the street tonight who has never read the Bible at all, and um, they through the reading of Zechariah chapter 8, I think they're going to think, wow, you know, God is a good God. This is an incredible blessing. 
But I think it should be different from, for us. Like, I think if, if we come to Zechariah chapter 8 in light, at least try to come to it in light of the rest of the Old Testament, I think you and I should have a much deeper awe of what God is saying here. Do you see why? This chapter is full of covenant language. It is as though God has spilt a cup of covenant all throughout the page. Now, when I talk about covenant in these sermons, you see what I mean by covenant, don't you? Like, you know that early on in the Old Testament, what God has done is he has entered into an agreement, an oath with his people that he has made to Abraham lots of promises of blessing and that the rest of the Old Testament kind of expands these covenant promises and shows how they're going to be fulfilled, right? You understand what's meant by the covenant. Here's the thing. What did those people think in Jerusalem? They thought the covenant was over. The covenant had called for faith and trust and what had these people done? They turned away from God and they think about chapter 7 they had and their forefathers they rejected God and they'd been sent into exile do you see it they thought the covenant was over and what happens here in chapter 8 what do they hear in chapter 8 they see from God that the covenant was still active why because he was a faithful God see I ask you What did God promise Abraham? What did he promise? He said to Abraham, you will be my people and I will be your God. Well, look at verse 8. He renews the covenant. He says, you will be my people, Jerusalem, and I will be your God. What else did he promise Abraham? He promised Abraham land. What does he say here? He renews his covenant promises. He says, all these things, everything you see here, I'm giving you this as an inheritance. What else did he promise Abraham? He said, you, Abraham, are going to be a blessing to the nations. And what does he say here, verse 13? You people were an object of cursing, but I am going to change that. I'm going to make you an object of blessing for the nations. Do you see it? God is saying to these people, your future is marvelous. Your future is glorious because I am faithful and I am going to keep my covenant with you. Imagine hearing that. Imagine being in Jerusalem and hearing that from Zechariah, the faithfulness of God. Here's what I want you to understand. We can equate the city of Jerusalem with the church of Jesus Christ. Do you see it? This is the promise for you. This is your future if you're in Jesus. Do you see that yours is a future of God's presence? Do you see that? Do you see that God in the gospel and the Holy Spirit is with you right now? God with you. And the problems that you have in your life just now, God in the gospel says to you, but I am with you in those and eternally Jesus Christ says to you I'm never going to leave you or forsake you I am with you always more than that what else did we see your future is a future of peace 
Imagine that. That's coming to you. Like a time of no more threat. And no more intimidation. And no more bullying. And no more of that anxiety that plagues your life just now. None of that in the Lord Jesus Christ. He promises you covenant security. And what was the last one? Your future is a future of prophetic fulfillment. Do you see it such as God's covenantal love for you, such as his steadfast love for you, that you will see in the coming years the unfolding of Scripture's promises. You are going to witness that in Jesus Christ. That yes, there will be death. And yes, there will be dying. But that will be followed by eternal and unlimited joy. An unlimited knowledge of God. An unlimited eternal worship of God. Do you see tonight, if you're in Christ, that is your future. That God's covenant faithfulness ensures for us the prosperity of Zion. Isn't that glorious? So we see commitment. God makes a commitment here. Secondly, we see that God makes a challenge. God makes a challenge. <coughs> okay. Um, I said at the beginning of the, the sermon that the tone uh, changes uh, between chapter 7 and chapter 8, didn't I? So the tone kind of changes from being pretty heavy going, rebuke, chastisement, and it changes into chapter 8, blessing. What I want to reiterate is that though the tone of the chapters change, the goal remains the same. Do you see what it is in both chapters? God in both chapters calls for holiness from his people. Holiness, that is the goal. And what we see in chapter 8 is two aspects of that sort of desired holiness really rise up and come to the fore. First one to consider is that you see there a call for integrity. Call for integrity. Um, were you here last Sunday night? <coughs> if you were... I think most of you were here last Sunday night. You'll remember I was banging on about a book that I leave uh, open to the side of my desk in my study. The, remember it? Uh, hopefully somebody at least remembers what I said last Sunday night. But it was a book in the attributes of God that I leave open at the contents page. I was banging on about this because last week in chapter 7, there was a list of precepts or characteristics that God really wants to see from his people. Do you remember that? There's four characteristics. Well, if you look closely at this parallel chapter, you see something very similar. So I'll just give you a moment. If you look at uh, verse 16 and 17, just have a little glance through that. 16 and 17. Do you see it? He gives another list. Now, we're not going to do what we did last week. So I'm not going to go into detail with those four characteristics. Instead, I'm just going to ask you this. Do you see 
what all of those four characteristics have in common. Do you see what God's calling for from his people of Jerusalem? Do you see it? He's calling for truth. God wants his people to be guided by honesty, not only in their attitudes, but in their actions. Look at that, verse 16. Speak the truth. Then what is it? Render through judgment. Then it's about sort of true motives. Don't plot evil. Then it's about true true words. Don't swear falsely. Do, Do you see what God desires from Zion here? If not, look at verse 3. What does he desire? What does he want us to be? He wants us to be the city of truth. Still not convinced? Look at verse 20. What does he command? Therefore, people... Love truth. I have to ask you this. As a congregation, as a Christian, does that sound like you? See, this this call for integrity, this call for absolute honesty, is that somewhere where your values beautifully, perfectly dovetail with the values of the Lord your God? Or, or, if you search your heart... Is there false words and false thinking about other people? Is there deceit with your spouse? Is there dishonesty with your family? Is there dishonesty with your colleagues at work? Is there dishonesty with your your finances? Are, Are you cunning, scheming? Are you? Are you duplicitous? If so, friends, listen to what God says here very carefully in verse 17. He says, those things I hate. There's a call for integrity. But there's also, if you notice, a call for industry here. Industry. Um, I've said from the pulpit a number of times that I am friends with the laziest man in the universe, in the known world. He is a friend of mine. And uh, this is a guy so lazy, I think last time I said that he doesn't wash his clothes because he can't be bothered with that sort of nonsense. Now, worst thing about this guy, the laziest man on earth, is that his laziness infiltrates his Christian life. Uh, so here, he's a man, you know, he, he rarely makes a morning service. Why? Because he can't get out of bed at that sort of time and very rarely makes a prayer meeting. Why not? Can't be bothered with all that public transport sort of nonsense. Now, you know, don't you, that that is entirely wrong. Like, you know, don't you, that it's an oxymoron to think of a, of a lazy Christian. Don't you? Don't you? And I think we're confronted with just how much that displeases God in this chapter. So again, I want you to do this and work with me here just to look at two verses. Look at the end of verse 9. What does he say? The Lord your God says, Let your hands be strong. Then look at the end of verse 13. Let your hands be strong. So what you've got there is a section that begins and ends with a call Not a call to arms, is it? I mean, it's a call to action. And look at the focus here, verse 9. 
Let your hands be strong so that the temple might be built. You see, in light of all his glory, in light of all his blessing, God's saying, continue to work, continue to rebuild, continue to serve my holy name. Now that is easy to apply. But before we do that, we've got to get the order right. Do you see what I mean? God does not first say, serve, and then say, I will bless you. What is the order? The order is, I'm a faithful God. I will bless my people. And then he talks and appeals for service. This isn't legalism. Do you understand me? I mean, this... This, this isn't blessing here that is dependent upon work. But that said, please listen to me. Our congregation has grown over the last year or 18 months. And we praise God for that. And the level of Christian service in the congregation has at best stagnated congregation's grown and the service has declined and so this evening I have to ask you in here is your faith at work is it is your faith in action are you spiritually yes but practically physically financially supporting the work of this congregation, the work of our denomination, the work of overseas mission. Is that true of you? Because you see what you've got here. God says in light of your future, in light of the blessing that is coming to you, God says, serve. Friends, let not your future just be about blessing. Let your future be about humble service of God. So we see God make a commitment. We see God make a challenge. And then lastly, and we see here that God makes a change. Um, as you may or may not know, there's been a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes Kirk session meetings and, and so forth and what we're trying to do in the congregation is provide this term especially as much biblical teaching as 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 anyone can stomach uh, between the church uh, meetings and house groups there will be 20s and 30s meetings there are also a discipleship meetings that will be taking place as well now as part of all of that um i emailed uh, Reverend Donald MacLeod in Scotland and I asked him to come and, and speak to the, the congregation. Basically, I kind of thought, well, he's not going to come, but I'm going to chance my arm anyway. You know, he is, if you don't know who he is, I think it's probably fair to say that he is one of uh, our uh, best living theologians. So I thought, I'll chance my arm and I'll email him, see if he'll come down. And I emailed him and I got nothing. I got nothing, you know. I waited ages and ages for a response and there was nothing coming along at all. And I thought, fair enough, I knew I was chancing it. 
Uh, he's not coming, that's fine. Now, a couple of days ago, checked my emails, there was an email. And it was an email from Don McLeod, and he said he would love to come down. He wants to meet you. He wants desperately to, to teach about Jesus here. You see what it was, though? I had to wait ages and ages and weeks and weeks. And I waited for an answer that eventually, eventually came. And I need you to see that that's what we're dealing with tonight. Do you remember how we begun chapter 7 last week? What did I say? A delegation comes into Jerusalem and they come in with a question. Right at the beginning of chapter 7. A question for Zechariah. A question for God about fasting. Now what's happened since then? We've gone through all of chapter 7. And we have gone through pretty much the whole of chapter 8. And what? It's not until the very end of chapter 8 that God finally and eventually answers their question. Now get this, it is not a question, not the answer that these people were expecting. Now do you remember what the question was? They said, should we fast on the fifth month? Should we continue to do that? And what does God say? What does he say? He says, not only should you scrap that fast, but see all the other fast in the fourth month, on the seventh month, on the tenth month. You take them and you scrap them all. God says, you transform those times of fasting and you transform those times of mourning. And in light of what's coming to you, you change them into feasting. Change it all into celebration and joy. And I hope you see, as a Christian tonight, something there that transforms your attitude to yourself, to how you live, and to your life at this church. Friends, we have been saved. We have been liberated by Jesus Christ. And we have the most beautiful future ahead of us. We should not be a people who are morose. We should not be a people who are doer and dark all the time. London City Presbyterian Church, hear me, it should be a place of joy. And Jesus Christ, look what we have. Your life should be a place of rejoicing in your God. But I, I want to end with this. Like, you see, even on the most basic level, what's happening in this chapter. Certainly towards the end, God is saying, these Gentile nations, they're going to come in and they are going to enjoy the salvation of Jerusalem. Here's how I want to end. How does God say that that's going to come about? I mean, how can God, a faithful God, a holy God, how can he bless sinful people with such a glorious future? Do you see what's said? Look at verse 23. Look at the language. God promises that these Gentiles, look at the language, figurative language, ten men from all languages will come into salvation by taking firm hold of one Jew by the hem of his robe. Now, of course, that speaks of salvation being from the Jews. But you are a Christian. You see what this is saying? Don't you? God's saying that these covenantal blessings, they can only come 
in and through one individual. One man. One Hebrew man. What does the rest of Scripture teach us? It teaches us that the Lord Jesus Christ has come. That he man has come. He has fulfilled all the expectations of the covenant and that tonight it is only in him that you and I can enjoy that fruit, that blessing of this future. So, friends, I need to ask you, have you done what verse 23 asks for? By faith, have you taken a firm hold of the hem of the robe? of that Hebrew man. By faith, have you trusted in Jesus Christ? If you have, do you know what? This, what we are talking about tonight, this is your future. What is your future? God is going to give you not what you deserve. God is going to give you what Jesus deserves. That is your future. So friends, let us serve, but come on, let us delight in our God. Let's pray.